With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Yes, 
they want me to take it now. Tired of taking lives so they can call me a fit. I'm better seeing you, but I'm winning and seeing me. I'm winning and seeing you. There ain't no competition for me. See, I realize it was true. And I realize that I'm true. And I'm better than I'm not. I want to split the people like me. They just split the people like me. I'm just walking outside and like
17 in verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who thou hast granted me that they belong to thee. All who are mine are thine, and thine are mine, and in them I am glorified. So that scripture is mainly talking about how how we uh we pray we don't pray we pray not for this world because we're not supposed to we can pray like to help poverty and all that but do not pray for this world. You can pray for people in it. Like job these people closest to him, because in the end, if we don't try them closest to him, we're gonna be punished because we didn't like, we didn't say nothing to them. And he was like, "Why did not say nothing? Are you embarrassed of me or something?" So you just gonna be like, "Um, no, I just didn't want to say it." That's what you probably like. Oh, I probably just didn't want to say it or I forgot. But in his words, he doesn't tell, he doesn't say, I want you to speak about me and tell everybody about me. He says it more like, he's like, he probably like, I'll find a scripture about that later on um, tonight so that he can say it. But he tells us, he's like, so he's like, y'all already know. Like, I told y'all in the Bible, you know, you're supposed to speak about me. And said you wanted to keep me hidden. Because I'm like some outcast. That's not fair. Like, you wouldn't want your friends when, like, some other kill kid children that are, or some other adults that are well known or whatever, they're like, Oh, this is my sister. You're going to be like, what? No, I'm your best friend. What are you doing? And they're like, just for now. And I'll be like, just for never. No, I'm done. I am so done. I thought you were my best friend. And how could you do that? Or on TV, they're all like, whenever they get in adult form when it's on he just like, oh, they, I can't believe you told your cousin that I was your sister. What, what kind of mess is that? That's basically like, you know, talking about that, like you're reading the Bible or something, you're reading the Bible or something, and then they're all like, what kind of book is that? And you're like, oh, um, it's Charlotte's Web. What? They know Charlotte's Web does not have, like, 900,000 pages or something. So they're going to be like, are you sure it's Charlotte's Web? I had never heard of edition 500 pages or whatever, 5,000, or how many uh, pages do you see? So, okay, let's look. They know there is not about, like, 
page number six. I don't get this Bible. It only got 291 pages in it. Oh, my. Is it short? I don't know. I think, like, usually Bible has, like, like, a lot of pages. But, yeah, guys will be like, okay, I see how it is, you know. I'm going to just praise to you all these things that I bless you with. I can take it back. He may not think so, but yeah, he could take the blessings that he can, like, just turn it around. Because in return, he wants something back from you. He wants your everything. He wants you to belong to him. Just like if you had, um, if you had a favorite food and you're like, nobody touched it. It's like, it belongs to me. He want, He knows. He knows that you belong to him. So, you know, why just try to take it back? But like God, he's like a best friend. He is just a best friend. He is a heavenly father. He. Is awesome. He is your doctor. He is everything. So when he gives you blessing, he wants something in return. Like, yeah, you said I read Proverbs about a week ago. What a week ago? Reading Proverbs that don't mean nothing. You could be reading. You could be taking your Bible to the club and then reading your Proverbs in the club. At the same time, trying to get trying to dance on pose and everything. Well, I, I hope y'all wouldn't do that. That's disgraceful. That's just nasty. Who wanna dance on a pole and read the Bible at the same time? Like at least if you're gonna do it. Like don't do like don't dance on the pole. Don't don't even do that. Like I don't want y'all to think that I'm gonna just help y'all and be all like you know, you gotta do dance on the pole at like least at like six o'clock, don't read the Bible at nine, you know. Gives you about a full two hours, three hours if you count, like by the time some dance time you Gives you a full three hours to dance or whatever. You can be like, yeah, I see that's your secret life. You tripping? Go. I wanted you to belong to me, but if you want yourself to belong to that club or whatever, you know. Now, Cassie, I didn't. So I'm looking at. Okay. So, as I was saying, in school, people have simple fights about things belonging to them. They're like, she belongs to me. Like, and that's my best friend. My best friend likes to me, not you. They'll find you another best friend. Well, the best friend belongs to me. And they're like, this is my best friend, not your best friend. 
So, you know, think about it. So, you know, that's going to be all fair. So we get to those, like, it's not really fair. So think about it. When you, you know, God wants you, but yet the devil wants you. And then half the time we don't even notice the blessings God is doing for us and the and the things God is trying to show us to too busy in our own things. So just like, you know, what is happening or whatever. So like it's better just that we that we have to come together and we have to know and we have to tell others about him and we have to try to find we have to find out because it's already been in the Bible. Like it's not gonna take you five hundred thousand years just to try to find out what Genesis one and one means. That's gonna be like you know, what's happening. But I'm going to just read another scripture to remind y'all that he, that you belong to him and he's the one that made you. So, you know, thanks God. He puts you where you are. He puts you there on earth to be a disciple for him. But he also gave you another decision he gave you decision to um gave you decision whether you know you wanted to but you wanted to like just you know don't worry about your business do the devilish things devilish stuff. But you know, he gave you he gave you a decision. And some of the people, they they don't even know that they take the wrong decision. They're just like, oh, yeah, this is the fun life. Woo. You know, they're just like, this is the fun life. They don't even know, really. Like, really, they don't. That's why... We have to draw close to him. And the other job goes there too. So I'm going to read scripture just to remind you that God actually created you. Just in case y'all thought again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And let separate the night, the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. It's the first day. So that was Genesis chapter 1 and verse. In verse 1. So, did you hear that? You know, if he created a sun, moon, stars, and everything else, 
they will never see. Never see someone by a private island. They never see. Never see. Ever see on your own personal yacht. Take a jog around your block that you bought from selling your stock. Not in this lifetime. Some of them are partners. They don't believe in karma, but they believe in commas. And they believe they dollars for a peace of mind. Put a price up on their head and they be fine with that fine. Just fine. When you can buy the car, you can't survive. It was fun in the beginning. Now it's close. They not as thrilling. And you got to make it killing. But it never feels fulfilling. So they call me Chubby Prince. I'm 
I know you ain't this true. I don't even really deserve to know this. I'm a witness that you did this, and I'm planning on show. I'm ready to go. I'm going to tell the world what they need to know. Next month, I'm going to let them go. Try getting high, but they left me low. You did what they could never do. You cleaned up my soul, man. Made me like I'm so brand new, and that's all that matters. I ain't love you first. You first love me. In my heart, I trust you. Thank you. 
I know once you swore, I don't even really deserve to know you. I'm a business, but you did this, and I'm brand new, so I'm ready to go. And I'ma tell the world what they need to know. Make some effort to let me go. Try getting high, but they left me low. You see what they could never do. You cleaned up my soul, man. Made me like I'm so brand new, and that's all that matters. I, I ain't love you personally. You personally. It was just a, 
I wanted to be the gang member my uncle was. I wanted every tattoo he had. You know, I saw my first gun and all these different things, and I was, man, this, this must be what it means to be a man. And I'm just sitting on their laps, soaking all this stuff in, like, wow, you know. And so I was like, you know, a child of rap and hip-hop, just seeing this world come up around me. In his teens, Lecrae realized something was still missing. I knew my ways were unfulfilling. You know, I chased power. I chased pleasure. I chased possessions. I chased um, just something satisfying. And I knew I kept getting let down. I knew it was, it was insanity, and I was never going to find fulfillment. But I didn't know what else to look for. He kept a Bible in his car as a good luck charm. One night, police caught him trespassing and in possession of drugs. He was cuffed and sat in the police car waiting to go to jail. And the police officer goes in my car, and he saw the Bible, and he came back to the police car, and he said, uh, son, you got a Bible in your car. And I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, you know what that Bible's about? And I was like, I need to. And uh, he said, well, you know what, I'm, today I'm going to let you go because I want you to get into that Bible, and I want you to start living. And that really did something to me, and that really, that really rocked me. And I, I didn't want to get in any kind of trouble like that again. He joined some friends at a Christian conference where he heard what Jesus did for him on the cross. And he talked about Jesus, you know, carrying his cross on the mount on, on, on Golgotha and, and, um, and just the, the turmoil and the pain that Jesus went through. That Jesus would take all that on his own back, floored me. And I said, I, I, I don't want to live like this anymore. And, um, and I just bowed out and said, Jesus, I'm sorry, and just broke down crying. For a year, Lecrae walked the line between college partier and committed Christian. His life was spinning out of control, and he knew it. Just cried out to the Lord one day. I said, God, I feel like um, I'm going to kill myself or kill somebody. And I said, please, just just stop me before it gets to that point. I said, stop me. Do whatever you got to do. Just don't kill me. He was finally stopped in a massive car accident that left him evaluating his double life. I came out without a scratch. You know, my car had flipped over. It was dented in, damaged up, and here I am without a scratch on me. I said, okay, God, I need to, I need to change. Later that night, he gave his life completely over to God. Oh, I was radically changed. To realize that I had been living a lie, to realize that I was unsatisfied and I would never be satisfied until I came to Jesus was so revolutionary for me that I wanted everyone to taste it. I wanted everyone to see how awesome God was. Lecrae typed out his testimony and handed it out on his college campus. He talked about God to anyone who would listen. I was proud. I was proud to have my story on that piece of paper. And I got laughed at, and I got called Jesus freak and Jesus boy and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But I was changed. Before long, he learned he could blend his passion for God and his ability as a rapper. I thought that God and rap would never work. I thought that God wasn't okay with rap. You know, people knew I used to rap, and I went to the Bible studies, and someone said, uh, hey, why don't you, you know, rap about Jesus? And so I just on the spot, I just came up with the rap about Jesus, and uh, and I'm like, man, that was good. And, um, And I was like, wow, well, maybe you could really do something with this. He began ministering to kids in juvenile detention. I ended up there for three years, every weekend, just sharing my heart and sharing scripture and rapping as their praise and worship on Sundays. His music has spread around the world. His newest CD, Rebel, debuted at number two on iTunes. 
but his purpose way beyond selling CDs. I want to use my art form to encourage the movement in the church to say, hey, let's engage the city. Let's rebuild the city. So that's really where my heart is, is to, is to rebuild the city. See the city. Come to Jesus. And if you don't know him, you're missing out on purpose, meaning, and life in general. And so I'm passionate about seeing people spend eternity with him. He's awesome. The love of a father that he missed as a child, he now finds in his relationship with God. He just loved on me. When I felt like I didn't deserve love, when I felt like I was unlovable, I'm really grateful. And I feel fortunate to uh, to have a, a huge family that is, is beyond race, creed, culture, and to have a father who shepherds us all. And when I think about that, my mind is blown. There's nothing like it. Brothers and sisters, it's Jared. This video is a testimony from a man named David Wood. Now, David Wood was an atheist and also a psychopath. Now, he was saved radically by Jesus Christ. And this is probably one of the most amazing testimonies that I've ever heard. It was powerful, and I encourage you guys to listen to it if you have any time on your hands. It is definitely fruitful to listen to. So, here it is. God bless you guys. And I left a link to his channel in the description, so really check him out because he has a lot of great work. God bless. underground world made of concrete and steel, stairways and tunnels, just enough light to see the signs on the walls. Suppose there were people who lived down here all their lives and were never allowed to visit the surface, and that these people were told from the time they were born that this world is all that exists. When they believe what they're told to believe, when they try to live like it's true, suddenly a madman stumbles down the stairs and says to the people living here, don't you realize this? You're underground. Don't you know that there's an amazing world right up those stairs and that a tomb, no matter how spacious, is still a tomb? Those people laugh at the man. They say, understand our world just fine without all your rambling about another. Go back to your flying spaghetti world, fool. We're the enlightened ones down here. And in rejecting above, they sink a little deeper into the world below. When I was five years old, I had a dog named Goliath. One day, my mother received a phone call. She turned to me with tears in her eyes and informed me that Goliath had been run over by a buck. I looked at her and thought to myself, so what, it's just a dog. But my mother was sad, and I couldn't figure out why. I soon noticed that other people got sad when something died. It seemed really weird to me. Crying isn't going to change the fact that it's dead, so why are you crying? I also noticed that people didn't share my amazing insights into the nature of reality. 
remember sitting beside a lake when I was eight years old watching ants march in perfect formation. And it suddenly became entirely clear to me that ants ruled the world and only tricked us human beings into thinking that we were in charge. Do you have any idea how powerful and brilliant they must be if they've managed to deceive the entire human population? Two years later, I figured out that pets actually controlled the planet. Whenever a cat or a dog would look me in the eyes, I would think that it was communicating with me, silently bragging that it was much more intelligent than humans were. So part of my youth was spent talking to animals, telling them, I know what's going on here. I'm on to you. But I grew out of that sort of silliness. By the time I was in 10th grade, I was convinced that I controlled the weather. I didn't know how I controlled the weather. I just knew that I did. It would start raining, and I would think, okay, how did I do that? I also had the ability to control time, but I didn't know how to use this ability yet. That summer, my best friend from elementary school died. Jimmy had always talked about going parasailing. He finally got the chance, and his harness broke. He plummeted to his death. When I heard about it after knocking on his door, I had the same reaction I'd had when my dog Goliath died, namely, so what? But this time it was different. It seemed like I should be bothered by Jimmy died. So I started wondering if something might be wrong with me. After pondering this for several months, I realized why I was different. I had evolved to a higher stage of humanity. These sad little notions the rest of you have, they're like vestigial tales left over from more primitive life forms. But humanity 2.0 had arrived, and new earlier models were now obsolete. The following year, I had a life-changing experience. I was running from the police in the middle of the night, and they had me surrounded on three sides. The fourth side was the Monongahela River, so I jumped in and swam across and started working my way through the trees on the other side. I eventually emerged from a patch of woods, and I found myself in someone's backyard. In front of me was a beautiful garden. I started to walk around the garden, but then I stopped to philosophize. I thought, I don't care about the people in that house, so why am I going out of my way to avoid stepping on their vegetables? Why am I being so courteous? Because I've been brainwashed, that's why. I've been breaking the law for years, and yet society had been manipulating my behavior all along. Greatness had been polluted by mediocrity. As I stomped my way through that garden, I had an incredible rush of freedom. The world has all of us on a leash, a leash made of rules. Do this, don't do that. But it's a leash that slips right off as soon as we recognize that we don't have to do anything anyone tells us to do. Of course, if you really want to break free from your handlers, it seems like you have to do the opposite of what you've been told. Going down? I started studying bomb building when I was 18. Nothing fancy yet. I got a copy of the anarchist cookbook. I learned to make pipe bombs. I learned to put together a homemade grenade launcher. I bought a book on disguises so I wouldn't be recognized. But it all felt a bit amateurish. So I decided to become a chemistry major in college where I could learn to build something a little more sophisticated. But my plans for becoming a bomber had to be put on hold because there are more important things in life. Anyone can blow up a bunch of random people. You don't know them. If you're sick of life dangling at the end of society's puppet strings, the killing has to start much closer to home. 
my dad was the only relative I had within a few hundred miles, so he obviously needed to die, and I had a ball peen hammer that would do the trick. Interestingly, some of my amazing insights into the nature of reality actually slowed me down. My dad was sitting beside me on the couch, and I was about to beat him to death. I had the hammer under a cushion. Uh, but I suddenly realized that he was reading my mind, and not just him, everyone in the world was reading my mind. I was part of an experiment, and billions of people were in on it. They were all waiting to see what I would do, and as soon as I uh, attacked my dad, the walls would rise up, the observers would rush in, and the experiment would be over. Since my dad is reading my mind, I'm channeling my thoughts to him as we sit there. He's watching television, and I'm thinking, look at me while you're reading my mind. Look at me right now, I'm going to bust your head open. Finally, I channeled to him, I think I'm stupid, I'm not falling for this. And I got up and walked out. But it wasn't over. After a while, my senses returned to me, and I walked into my dad's bedroom at about 2 o'clock in the morning, Thanksgiving Day. I stood over him with a hammer, and I tried to think of one wrong thing he'd ever done to me. Nothing came to mind. So I drew back my arm and came down on him with all 230 pounds. I didn't know how fast blood could come out of someone's head. Kept hitting him until I was sure he was dead. Then I walked outside and drove away. There was no rush of freedom this time. I didn't feel anything anymore. Did I mention that I was an atheist? I understand that most of you atheists out there live perfectly normal lives, but I can never understand why you would want to. Think about it. We've got this massive universe, and over here is a tiny little crumb of a galaxy. Out of one of the spiral arms of this galaxy is a thoroughly unremarkable ball of hot gas. Circling this ball of hot gas is a pathetic speck of cosmic dust we call Earth, and crawling all over the Earth are these feeble, selfish, self-destructive lumps of cells constantly deluding themselves into thinking that what they do is so important. But the universe couldn't conceivably care less whether you love your neighbor as yourself or torture to death for fun. So you might as well do whatever you feel like doing with a little bit of time you've got. And what are my atheist friends going to do with your 80 years or so? Let me guess. You're going to go to school for a while, then get a job, work for a few decades, maybe pick up a family along the way, then retire and die of old age or some illness. Original. Free thinkers, huh? Believe it or not, some people don't want to live like cattle. Some people don't want to follow this pattern that we're all expected to mindlessly follow. Some would rather bash a man's head in or shoot up a theater or walk down their school hallway uh, stabbing people. And, and why shouldn't they? Because it's wrong? Because who, your grandma? Or... Should they try not to hurt people because people have intrinsic value? Here I thought that human beings are nothing but machines for propagating DNA. Most people don't want to kill and slaughter, but for those who do, our civilization is rapidly destroying any significant reason they might have for resisting the urge to kill and slaughter. Young people are lining up to dance to the music of their DNA. All you can do now is hope that they get tackled when they stop to reload or that they make some huge blunder when their bloodbath begins. I made a huge blunder when my bloodbath began. I underestimated the amount of damage a human head could endure. Crushed skulls can apparently be pieced back together by doctors. 
my dad had brain damage, but he survived the attack. I was taken to a mental hospital and later to jail. Jail is a place to sit back and reflect on the things you've done. You've got plenty of time to sit back and think, why did I get caught? What steps can I take to avoid getting caught next time? And without all of the empty, repetitive tasks that ordinarily keep you mentally sedated, you've got plenty of time to to figure out what's most important to you. The most important thing to me was not being a slave to people for whom I had nothing but contempt. But people had controlled me in various ways throughout my life, and this meant that they would need to be taught lesson. I had a list of people going back to kindergarten who were going to be brutally murdered. But doubts occasionally crept in. I would ask myself, is there a point to any of this? Nothing really matters, so what difference does it make whether I do everything I've been planning or I do nothing at all? There's no blue ribbon for making the right decision here because there is no right. But when I would start to think that life off the leash was just as meaningless as life on the leash, I'd start to lose my mind. I was able to hold things together to some extent, mentally, because I had something to do. But if what I had to do was pointless, then holding things together was pointless. So I was at an edge, and there's nowhere to go but over it. But life has a way of giving us an alternative. That's just the right moment. When I'm laying an empty kettle, he should be on the metal. Yet I'm born apart closing doors, please, just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. When I was in E-Block in the jail, I a Christian named Randy, a guy who had turned himself in for 21 felonies. Randy seemed like he was from another world. Um, there'd be a fight in the dorm and he wouldn't watch. He, uh, he'd turn his head away and pray for it to stop. Our main source of entertainment, and he's praying against it. Chris is cracked me up. Randy was lying in his bunk reading his Bible one night. I walked up to him and said, do you know why you're reading the Bible? You're reading the Bible because you were born in the United States. You've been born anywhere else. You believe it's something else. You've been born in China. You'd be a Buddhist. You've been born in India. You'd be a Hindu. You've been born in Saudi Arabia. You'd be a Muslim because people like you believe whatever you're told to believe. I've since heard other atheists say the same thing in almost exactly the same words. So I take it that this is a common atheist view of Christians, which is hilarious in its level of hypocrisy. I believe that the universe floated out of nowhere for no reason, and that life formed on its own, and that consciousness was a natural product of particle interactions in our brains, and that moral values were nothing but societal indoctrination, and that Jesus' followers made up the story about him rising from the dead because they wanted his message to spread. I believe all of this, without anything remotely resembling careful investigation of the evidence, 
which means I believe a lot of what I've been told. But I'm quite the fear as a Christian. Why? Because it's much easier to make fun of someone else and to do the difficult work of putting together a coherent, well-grounded belief set. Something interesting happened when I made fun of Randy. He fought back. Lots of Christians will go into retreat mode if you start arguing with them. They don't want to cause a scene. But Randy sat up on his bunk and proceeded to embarrass me about some of the things I was saying. I was totally shocked. I don't know what was going on. I am the smartest, most advanced human being the world has ever seen. And night after night, when we were arguing, uh, Randy was just taking me to a, to a school. And he wasn't smarter than me. He didn't have any special knowledge or degrees. He, um, he wasn't a scientist or a philosopher. He just had an annoying habit of questioning everything I would say. And when I would try to answer his questions about what I was saying, it would become clear to him and to me that many of my beliefs, when put into words, sounded really, really stupid. Things that made perfect sense when unquestioned made no sense at all when questioned. I became so frustrated by our arguments that I began looking for other ways to defeat Randy. I made fun of him for getting molested when he was a child. saw his, uh, his 12-year-old sister in the visiting room, and I said some things about her that I'm not going to repeat here. I keep messing with him until he got upset. When he got upset, I say, look at you, getting angry at me. You call yourself a Christian. Oddly enough, Randy and I became friends. We'd stay up all night playing cards, drawing a ruler put the paper around like it's a football, and of course, arguing about the Bible. But I was still looking for ways to defeat him at something, so we got into the world's first ever fasting battle. It wasn't about him. He wasn't trying to outdo me at anything. But I was certainly trying to outdo him. Randy would fast for long periods of time, nothing but water. Uh, after a while, I joined in. And whenever he would complete a fast, I'd start my own fast and then go a few days longer than he did. For our first exchange, Randy fasted one week. Uh, I knew he wasn't eating because he gave me all his meal trays. When he was finished, I said, all right, I'm going. Ten days. I had never gone a day without food in my life. But I went ten days straight just so I would know that I had beaten the Christian. We went back and forth, with me always going a few days longer than he did. Uh, eventually, he asked me, he asked me, uh, hey, how come you always fast a little longer than I do? Are we in some sort of competition that I don't know about? I said, no, I hadn't even noticed. Just coincidence, I guess. Randy fasted 40 days. He went 32 days on nothing but water, and then he added liquids like Kool-Aid to the rest. He told me that Jesus had gone 40 days, and that's why he picked the number 40. I said, all right, going 42. Even six weeks, nothing but water and rage. I was going to meet Randy and Jesus. On the 11th day of my fast, uh, a guard came in and told me to pack up my stuff. I passed out earlier and hit my head on the way down. The medical staff knew my mental health history, and they thought I was trying to starve myself to death. I'm trying to be the Christian. They think I'm trying to commit suicide really, really slowly. But... They had seen that I lost enough weight to realize that there was a problem, and the blood pressure monitor the nurse put on my finger said that I was dead. I had to pack up my books, philosophy and science, and all the books Randy gave me, 
and head to my new home, a cell with a camera where I can be watched day and night. Living the dream. I lost about 80 pounds from fasting. I developed a horrible rash all over my body. It felt like uh, felt like poison ice called shingles caused by vitamin deficiency. <laughs> I was having blackouts. I was getting tunnel vision. The doctor at the jail said he was going to film feed me. The social worker was talking about having me sent to my third mental hospital. And when I wasn't feeding, all I could think about was taking people out to the woods and peeling their skin off. But I found renewed purpose in my lonely cell with a library at my disposal and nothing else to do. I had a perfect opportunity to prepare for an epic showdown with Randy. I could study the Bible, put together new arguments, go back to E-Block, and destroy the faith of my friend. I asked the chaplain for some Bible studies. He gave me a series of studies on the Gospel of John with graded assignments. So here I am, a rapidly deteriorating atheist, sitting in a poorly lit cell, doing my Bible homework, getting straight A's. I haven't eaten in days, and I read about Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. I'm obsessed with liberating myself from a society that has me trapped in a six-and-a-half-by-eight-foot cell. And I read, the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I'm wondering how long my body can take what I'm doing to it before my heart stops, and I read, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Kind of creepy when a book talks to you, but what do I know? I used to think that cats were talking to me. Lying on my back, day after day, reflecting on life and theology and philosophy, three things started to destabilize my entire belief system. First, what's called the design argument finally hit me. I was looking at a wall and how the bricks were arranged, and I thought to myself, you know, if someone told me that these bricks went into this order by some process that didn't involve intelligence, I'd smack them in the mouth. And yet I believe that life forms without intelligence when the most basic Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.